I may get to Leviticus chapter 18 this morning. I may. But we're going to start with Luke chapter 16. I'm going to examine some truths from God's word. Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us a very unique understanding. We, as a fellowship, have examined this many times. I want to look at it again this morning. There are so many opinions in the world around us about heaven and hell and death and afterlife and, you know, angels and just that whole realm of the spiritual state of existence. You know, some say there's nothing, but, you know, there's just the finishing of life and then there is no more. Well, in my Bible, all of these words are in red. And to me, that's the ultimate authority. Jesus is speaking, telling us how it is. So especially as believers, we need to abandon our own understandings. And we need to embrace what Jesus tells us about these things. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says, There was a rich man. Now, when Jesus tells a parable, an illustrative story, the scripture tells us this is a parable. Parable is a known idea something that you handle and deal with and understand thoroughly, laid parallel to something that you haven't experienced or do not understand. Hence the term parable. The known truth laid alongside something that is not known so that you can gain the understanding of the unknown. This is not a parable. Jesus is telling us of a literal circumstance. Jesus doesn't use any names when he tells us parables. It's announced that it's a parable, and there are no names. It's always given to us in a generic sense of understanding. Jesus is telling us this is a literal circumstance, not a story that he's making up. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Look, to be clothed in purple is to be unimaginably wealthy. That, that you, don't, you don't get to be clothed in purple unless you have incredible wealth. You do whatever thing it is in your mind that makes it today's idea of being incredibly wealthy. You know, this man who's being described here, you know, had one of those black credit cards with no limit on it. This man described here today would have his own private jet, you know, maybe not even a Learjet, maybe full size, 747. This, this is like billionaire. This is a man of unspeakable wealth, is what Jesus is saying. This is a rich man, clothed in purple, fine linen, feasted sumptuously, right? <laughs> feasted, that's not just himself. Feasting, like as in all the friends can come over, all of the guests can be in attendance, and everyone, everyone gets to feast sumptuously every day, right? 
we we have big barbecue and throw the horseshoes every now and then. That's not what's being described here. This is someone who has unspeakable wealth. And at his gates was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Don't know if you've done the calculation, but this man would be considered to have at least a degree of leprosy. He's untouchable, right? Leprosy was a very broad range of skin ailments. He's got open sores. So he would fit somewhere in that class of being unclean. This man, Lazarus, who was at the gate, desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Now, this uh, that falls from the rich man's table, uh, in the day, pita bread was the most common form, and they would take that pita and load it up and eat from it and dip in the sauce in the table and share with one another and break pieces off. But there would be stacks on a table such as this that you could just use to eat from. The rich used this to clean their hands because their hands were how they ate. This is why the Gentile, the Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. Because everybody's hands were in the food and dip, double dipping is allowed. Eat, put it right back in, eat. So whatever you've got, your neighbor's got by the end of the meal. Every, everybody is one common person. That's how they looked at it. Was, was everyone was bound together as one person by sharing a meal in this way, and they would wipe their hands with the pita bread when they were done and literally just discard it to the table or even throwing it on the floor. Like, you know, going to Texas Roadhouse and the place is just covered with peanuts, you know. There's pita bread. And, and the crumbs and the broken pieces just everywhere. And this is what, Lazarus is desiring to eat from the napkins, the, the table scraps that have been discarded. That's how poor he is. Desire to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So, you know, Jesus does that thing too, where he gets really graphic in his sermons to make a point. Right? This is a literal situation. Uh, how low do you have to be that having a dog lick your sores is cleaner than your current condition and somehow a comfort? That's disgusting to even consider. So disgusting. This is his existence. Would you think of this man as a believer if you saw him? Covered in sores and dog licking his wounds, and, you know, head first into the trash can. <laughs> what do you think? Now there's a Christian. Ah, oh, but he is a believer. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The poor man died and was carried. I find a interesting thought it's just my own it's not scriptural not trying to tell you some 
doctrine here, right? Gravity pulls us to the ground all the time. It's constantly at work in our lives. Spiritually, I think that there's a force pulling at us like that also. If we're not resisting, if we don't have strength within us, we just fall to the lowest position. Right? Maybe you were one of those people, maybe you have a person in your life that if somebody's not right there just sort of pumping them up as a believer, they always gravitate towards the worst people in their environment. They always gravitate towards the worst situations in their world. They always sit on the back of the bus. You know, troublemakers. Always being drawn down, right? Jesus tells us hell's in the center of the earth. You're going to naturally go there without Jesus Christ catching you and carrying you to where you're supposed to be. The angels carry this man to where he belongs. It's interesting that uh, this man is carried, and then in contrast, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, literally hell, it says, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, this, excuse me, uh, idea that Lazarus is at Abraham's side, you know, the, the rich man being in torment in Hades, you're going to read through the scripture and you're going to find that Hades or Hades, as it is sometimes pronounced, uh, is described several different ways. The grave itself being described as Hades just simply means the place of the dead. Okay. So all people actually go to Hades because it just means the place of the dead. Here we see two compartments described. It's going to get more detailed as we move through, but the beggar, Lazarus, is at Abraham's side. The rich man is in torment. So regardless how you want to view this situation, one man is in torment and the other man is not in torment and they can see one another from this location. So, beggar died, carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, was buried, being in torment in Hades. He lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, at his side. Verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, hey, pause for a moment. Pause. The rich man just called Abraham his father. Abraham doesn't contradict him. You'll see that. That means he was Jewish. He was a descendant of Abraham. Yet he's in hell. It's an unfortunate thing that so many people who are Jewish believe themselves to be saved because of their heritage. 
simply because they have been born in the lineage of Israel. There's a certain minister in Texas who has a great ministry to Jews and proclaims how much affection he has for them. But he tells Christians to not evangelize Jews because our salvation, according to this man, comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The salvation for Jews comes through their relationship with Abraham, he says. It's a false teaching. Right? You just got to turn to Acts chapter 15 when you get some time and see James there say to the Jews who are gathered together to debate the issue of particularly circumcision. And when they come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is telling them it's unnecessary for the Gentiles to be circumcised, he, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, if we Jews continue in the faith like the Gentiles, we can get saved just like them. The Jews can get saved in the same way that the Gentiles are. There's only one source of salvation. That's Jesus Christ, his shed blood, and the grace of God. That's it. So this man is a descendant of Abraham. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So apparently there's water where Lazarus is and there's none where the rich man is and there are flames where the rich man is, right? Again, Jesus tells us this is all inside the heart of the earth. Now, you might have heard along the way different wild stories about people digging giant deep holes thousands of feet deep and eventually getting down far enough to where they could hear people screaming in hell and all of that is a load of lies. A load of lies. One thing we do know about the center of the earth there's lots of speculation about iron core and magnetic fields and all kinds of stuff. And a lot of that has some pretty solid understanding from science in it. But the bottom line is we don't know much about it because it's impossible to dig that far down. We do know it's very, very hot. Without question, we understand that. And if you're saying, how do we deal with that? Have you ever seen at least photographs of when it cracks open, right? And it spews out what is contained inside. It's very, very hot. It's melted rock, and it burns things up. Inside the earth exists hell. How do I know it? Because Jesus said so. Hell is not an imagined place. Hell is not a place where people exist in a sort of non-existent state and experience, you know, a sort of mental and emotional torment that is, you know, described like fire. No, there's flames there in hell. In Abraham's bosom, which seems to be in the same compartment, because the rich man can see 
Lazarus. I can't explain that. Not even going to try to. We get a little more description here in the next few verses, but we can know for certain that at this time, inside the earth, we have hell and another compartment that we could describe as Abraham's bosom, where all believers go. We'll get a little more understanding of that. The believers are with Abraham in Abraham's bosom. The unbelievers are in hell, like you would classically think of it. Now, you shouldn't ever think of hell as being Satan's throne or his kingdom. Because according to, again, Jesus Christ, the scripture, the book of Revelation, it is his prison. It was designed to eternally house the devil and his angels. It will someday be thrown, hell itself, into outer darkness, lake of fire, into another location. But it's currently residing inside the earth. And it is the classic image of hell that you would think of. This rich man is there, and he can see Lazarus where there is water, and he's asking, just have the guy put his finger in water and come and touch the tip of my tongue. I have this sleep apnea thing. And as a result, I often will fall asleep with my mouth open, breathing through my mouth. That'll dry you out so bad. You know, wake up in the middle of the night and you're dry, like down to your belly button. You know what I'm saying? Just everything is parched. And you're thinking like, oh, if I could just add, you know, a couple drops in the bottom of a Dixie cup would change my world right now. Dry, parched. This man, any of us that have worked in hot, furnace-like environments, it will drive you insane the degree that thirst can come upon you. Abraham said, son, there's the, the confirmation. He doesn't say, you aren't a child of God. You're not descended from a son, he says, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. You lived sumptuously. You were clothed in purple. You had all of the good stuff while you were alive. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Health, wealth, and prosperity movement says that if you experience evil things while you are on earth, then you're not favored by God. That somehow you've been separated from God. Not according to Jesus Christ. This man is in paradise with Abraham. While he was on earth, he was in torment. There's a statement and it's so true. For the believer, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get, living on earth. For the unbeliever, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. If you get overwhelmed at times and you hate this place and you begin to despair of life itself, know that it is an endurance test, but there's glory that waits for you. 
This is a terrible place. You know sooner clear the last hurdle from the last difficulty and the last trial and you're having to line up for the next one, right? That old statement the preachers always say. You know, if you're a true believer, you're either in the middle of a trial, just came out of a trial, or you're headed into the next trial. Welcome to life. It's difficult, but not once we step over the threshold. Paradise awaits us. What did Jesus say to that thief on the cross, right? I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Don't, don't listen to the false teachings of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, who move the comma just a little bit so that Jesus is saying, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise, right? Which is what some of our Catholic friends do. They sit in churches and they tell one another, someday, but first we've got to go through purgatory. First we've got to go through more torment. No, 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 no. You finish here, you enter there. Straight into his presence. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. The great glory. Remember that in this lifetime you receive good things, Lazarus likewise evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Make the decision now. Make the decision here. Now I've talked to people who literally say, well, when it comes down to it, I'll make that decision as I enter. What a stupid, I mean, they know how stupid that is to say that, don't they? Right? How, how many people actually get the time? That, that, that's, you know, not a predictable number within itself. Some people in the blink of an eye are standing here and then standing there. It's over in a millisecond. You think of all the different ways. I've recommended this book before. You might want to write it down and look for a copy of On the Death of Saints and Sinners. That's the name of the book. It's an old book. On the Death of of saints and sinners. And it documents all the weird ways people have died that they could find in history. One of my favorites is the Roman senator who was walking with friends and people witnessed, he didn't see it coming, but people witnessed an eagle swoop down and pick up a tortoise and carry it high up into the sky and then drop it. Nailed him right in the head, dead instantly. Hit in the head with a tortoise. You don't know how it's coming, right? That tortoise, that eagle was probably trying to crack the tortoise open and get what was inside, you know? Crunchy shell, chewy filling. I don't, you know, anyway. <clears throat> right in the head. Right? Things like that could happen to you. There are eagles around here, right? There are big eagles around here. There are tortoise and turtles around here. You seen some of those snappers? I mean, those guys are big. Kill you dead. You don't know, right? Well, you could be looking up and watching for them and step out in traffic, right? I mean, you just, you don't know. 
You don't know when or how it's coming. You need to live prepared. If your current torment is causing you to think there is no God. Why am I in this torment? Why do I have to go through this day after day after day after month after year after year? Why? Maybe it's so that you can be a testimony like Lazarus. Maybe that's it. Listen, listen, Lazarus, right? Jesus is speaking of this in the past tense. So it has to have been almost at least 2,000 years ago, maybe much longer than that. He's been living in paradise ever since. Isn't it interesting how when we're in the struggle, we feel like it's so long. But then when the good times come, right? How quickly those things pass. I guarantee you that today, Lazarus is trying to remember what the bad times were like. Thousands of years have passed. And he's been in the paradise presence of the Lord this whole time. People people are probably saying, tell us about when the dogs licked your sores. And he's saying, whose sores? Your sores, my sores. Why? Oh, wait, no, you're right. Okay, and he has to like go through because it's so far gone. The struggle's over. And yet, his struggle serves us this morning so that we can get the accuracy of not only understanding eternity, but we can understand this life, right? I've already corrected incorrect doctrine. Using his life. People that are tormented and experience evil are not cursed of God. They're children of God very often. The torment has led them to the presence of the Lord. In this life. So that when they exit this life, they just step from glory into glory. I'm sure it doesn't feel like glory when the dogs are licking your sores. Amen? Right? It was a year ago I was laying in the hospital in Israel thinking this is not glorious. I I tell you, I, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody who says things to me like, oh, Oh, thank God you were in Israel. They have such great doctors and such great medicine. And I immediately think, you've never been in a hospital in Israel. People that say that, oh, at least you're in Israel. Yeah, okay, uh, in contrast to like Mozambique, I guess that's, you know, better. You know, than Dali, India, I guess. You're okay. I can, I can buy that. But, like, you step into a hospital that looks like it was built in 1947. And no one there speaks English. And there are no orderlies in the hospital. They just hand you a piece of paper and say, you know, in broken English, 
ultrasound. And now you're wandering the halls, unable to walk with your cane, using Google Translate on every sign. Nope, not it. Next, you know. That was not fun. And yet, the Lord was with me. Complain. No, i got to be honest. I was complaining, right? But then, you know, after the taxi ride back, you know, and I'm all covered with sores, literally, and in pain, you have to think, well, I mean, that is the Sea of Galilee right there. <laughs> what was I complaining about? I'm watching the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has fished on this water, walked on this water. What am I whining about? <laughs> That's the golden height right over there. Right? We, we are so strange in the struggle. And yet, Christ used it. Right? Pe people got to see his glory in our struggle. In Lazarus' struggle, we are examining the truth. If we don't have this in the scripture, you guys, then we have to speculate using a whole bunch of other things. Jesus says, you know what, let's just take this circumstance and clarify a whole bunch of things for everybody who's going to believe. There is no purgatory. This man goes straight into the presence of paradise. He experiences the Lord's fulfillment, and he is comforted there. The statements made by Abraham to the rich man, and besides all this in verse 26, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, nor can those from there pass to us. They cannot pass from you to us or us to you. No possibility. Now, if you're thinking Great Gulf, it's just a huge cavernous thing. Maybe, you know, if there was a skilled rock climber in paradise, he could just scale down. He's going to live for eternity, take months, but he could then scale up the other side. Not according to Abraham, he says it's impossible. When the scripture says something's impossible, my perception is that it's impossible. It's not possible to go from heaven to hell or hell to heaven. So that sort of erases the idea of purgatory also, doesn't it? Those that want to pass from hell over to here cannot. What sort of gulf is fixed between one that God made that makes it impossible for anyone to go from hell into paradise? There's no passage between. Once the rich man hears that, the scripture records, then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now that I have come to the conclusion, experientially, that hell is real, can you please go and save my brothers? Send Lazarus back. 
that he would take the message to them. That, that is a reasonable request. It's a reasonable thought. An individual enters eternity and realizes the whole of what they're experiencing. Please, let them take this message back to the people that I love. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now, before we move on, you have Moses and the prophets in your hands right now. That's what Abraham is saying. They have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. They have the Bible, is what Abraham is saying. You and I, if you've not read this, you're not really familiar with it, might think, well, be way more convincing if someone who had died would come back and testify to us. Eh, just let your brain churn on that for a minute and understand that the answer from Abraham was the answers that they need are in the Bible. How important and how significant does that make the Bible for us? Right? We've already surrendered, right? We're in the position of Lazarus. We're the poor beggars who have surrendered ourselves to the Lord and we're awaiting paradise in eternity. That puts this message in our mouth, in our mind, in our lives. The word of God is in our life. This very passage is very useful to take to the five brothers and share with them. Your brothers, my brothers, sisters, the people around us that need this message. This message from hell. Think about that. This man is in hell preaching. He's saying, my brothers need to know this place exists. It's interesting to me that most frequently it's the people who are headed to hell who hate the hellfire and brimstone message. I've never run into believers who are like, oh, I don't care for that preacher. He's a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I've never, I mean, they might say, well, you know, maybe in this setting that message could have been toned down a little bit or this or that. It's always the people that are headed to hell that are the ones who proclaim their disdain for the hellfire and brimstone message. It's always fire. He's always preaching hellfire and brimstone. You know who's preaching it here, right? We've already said it. It's the man in hell who's saying, my brothers need to hear a hellfire and brimstone message. Maybe people need to be told that. Your relatives that have gone on before, you don't like the hellfire and brimstone message? Your relatives that have gone on before you want you to hear this message. <laughs> How do you know that? Well, let's look right here at Luke chapter 16. And you just take him here and show him a man in hell that's begging, begging Abraham to go back, send Lazarus back with this message. So interesting to me. Such a great clarity that we find here. Verse 30, he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, 
they will repent, right? And that's the logical thought. If somebody who's passed from this life into eternity could just come back and preach to us, boy, people would believe then. But they don't, do they? They don't. Because one did enter eternity. And he did enter Hades, the place of the dead. And he did rise from the dead. And we're in this season preparing for Easter, where we celebrate that very resurrection and the message that was in that man's mouth. And the world rejects it. Right? Oh no, too much Jesus. He was a religious you know, figure, so he doesn't count. How about the other Lazarus? Have you ever put that together with this message right here? Right? Right? Because Jesus goes and raises that Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. There's no coincidence in the scripture that we're hearing about this Lazarus. And there's another Lazarus. When that guy's resurrected, what do the unbelievers want to do to him? Kill him. They literally hatch a plan to put him to death. Lazarus has been dead for four days. His body is decomposing to the point that he stinks. He smells really bad. And Jesus goes to that graveyard and says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out of the grave and they have to take him out of the grave clothes. And then when he goes to the feast, they are there plotting to kill him. People aren't going to embrace one that comes from the dead because it convicts them of how they live now. This man, this rich man, would have known. He would have automatically known, I need to give up my sumptuous living. I need to stop being so selfish with my existence. I need to sell my jet. I need to give my money to the poor. I need to care for Lazarus who's right outside my gate. But they don't want to. They want to live sumptuously. They want to, however that is, right? Because some of these heathens that are headed to hell are poor beggars hanging outside a gate also. But they will not stop living sumptuously out of the garbage that they're consuming every day. Just, just like the dog going back to its vomit over and over. They will not stop. They will not relent. They don't want to. But he said to him, verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And there it is. Red letters, Jesus speaking. How are you going to change a heart such as that? You can't. I can't. But the Lord can. Our president calls us to a national day of prayer. Oh, what an opportunity. Forget coronavirus. If that's compelling people to their knees, take the opportunity to pray. That they would hear the one who has risen from the dead. That they would hear the message 
of those who've already passed on. Be they in torment or be they in paradise, that they would listen to the scripture and what it has to say, what it has to offer them. Here's the thing. We're the ones with Moses and the prophets in our mouth. We have to share with the world. We've got to. You, you, know, you know Lazarus at some point heard preaching. Without question. I guarantee you that. You say, well, maybe that's just speculation. No, it's not. You know how I know? Because the scripture says, right? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. Preach the word. Share with people around you. You don't, you don't know where I work. You don't know how opposed they are. I'll probably lose my job. Good. Preach. How tragic would it be to have someone you stood next to every day end up in hell? They're in line for eternity next to you. You're headed into paradise. They're going to be separated for God forever. And they look over at you and realize you had the answer the whole time we were hanging out. You did not share with me the cure for my illness. I think about that. You got the cure for coronavirus and you just keep it to yourself. I don't time these messages. All of these things coinciding together, the Lord does. Make sure you share with the world the salvation the Lord has provided you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Leviticus 18, next week maybe. We'll see. Father God, you are so good to us. Lord, help us. Help us to open our mouths. Help us to take that message to the brothers and the sisters of the dead. Lord, they're all dead. If they don't know you, then they're already dead in their sins. May we be your ambassadors. May we represent our kingdom. Lord, keep us healthy for the purpose of sharing your kingdom. I pray your blessing upon every person in this room that they would serve you effectually throughout the coming days. Fill them with your spirit. Use them as your children. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.